This is Ethios with Bemneti Meskan from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. I'm not supposed to be perfect. Like, that's that's not the goal for life. I'm not supposed to have this... Like, Sincerely Ethiopia is not a perfect film. The Diaspora Journal is not a perfect film. I, it's just a film that I've made out of my imperfections. And I'm okay with it. My guest today is Nathan Araya. Nathan is a filmmaker, TV personality, producer, community leader, and unshakable optimist dedicated to improving the lives of people around the world. He was born and raised in Dallas and lived in several cities, including London and Los Angeles. Nathan has a bachelor's degree in mass communications and a master's in business administration from Concordia University, Irvine. He currently runs a socially conscious digital production company called Risk Happy. He describes himself as an obsessive learner who loves spending time reading, listening to podcasts, producing, and creating content. He's the creator of the documentaries Sincerely Ethiopia and the Diaspora Journal. Nate, thanks for being on the show, man. Not a problem. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Yeah, man. Really excited. Um, want to find out about your background and everything. But I just wanted to tell you, man, out of all of the content that I've found online, your energy level and the amount of work and the types of work that you're doing is really exciting, man. It seems like you're having a lot of fun. Man, that's that's the goal, man, to live life, enjoy it to the fullest, and inspire others. That's been my whole motive, um, just growing. So, Nate, tell us where you're from. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I was born and raised in Dallas, and then uh, grew up in a place called Garland, Texas. Garland, Texas, which is um, a little out, a little outside of Dallas, but yeah, in the, in the area. And did you grow up in a predominantly Ethiopian community, or was it not? Um, not really. I mean, the only Ethiopian community that I had probably was, um, started happening around middle school time when I used to go to church, the, the Ethiopian church. And that was my only really strong connection to the Ethiopian community. Of course, my family, I mean, that's, that's all I have, uh, you know, the, but at the same time, you know, going to school, I was just with mixed with just a different group of people you know from caucasian to black to hispanic so you know i got a chance to kind of see all different types of races and ethnicities um going through elementary middle school and high school but um i think church played a pivotal role for me in my spiritual growth and also cultural awareness so was it like i I hear from so many kids that grew up in the u.s yeah that their identity and in you know their ethiopian identity is usually suppressed just because of the negative connotation that there was in the you know seventies, eighties, and early nineties. Yeah, was it like that for you too? And then until you came out of your bubble a little bit, because now it seems uh-huh. like you're you really like embrace and champion the culture, and you're 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 all about everything yeah. Ethiopian. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't always like that. I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, I grew up with those ten cents a day commercials, and you know, yeah. being able and, and seeing <laughs> famine, devastation, yeah. destruction in Ethiopia, and and even like in the household, like. You know, I would only hear I, every time I act up or, or you know, do something bad. I was usually threatened with the notion of being sent back to Ethiopia. 
And it, it was almost like this image in my head that Ethiopia is this dark prison that I'm going to go to. For, and, <laughs> That's and, and kind of a form for, of child abuse. And, 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 uh, man, there's no such thing as child abuse in the Habesha culture. There, there's no such thing. They no, just get isn't. plain abused, and, and that's it. <laughs> like, actually, I, I remember. I got stories, man. I got stories where I just got beat for days. Um, that's just, just ridiculous. My mom used to whoop me with any and everything. I mean, belts, shoes. Seriously? I mean, Oh my gosh, man! I I was like the I was the oldest kid, right? So she whooped me so bad that she wanted to make me an example for my little brothers. So it was almost like I was the oldest, and I got whooped the most, and and that was it. I I pretty much set the tone for the house. But man, in the house, I was like, I was a track star. I was like Ababa Bikila. I was hopping over, <laughs> over tables. <laughs> you couldn't catch me. Usually, like try to fight, like find me and and run with me, but that was too fast. I, I always tell her I should have been a track star. But did you, did you try ever try to pull the I'm gonna call nine one one? Oh my gosh, call nine one one. My mom would kill me before nine one one comes up. You would need the ambulance to come to my house instead of nine one one police. I mean, I wouldn't even dream. That's something I didn't understand even growing up as a kid. When I see like American kids calling or or families calling your know, child services, like, my yeah, it's mom crazy. served me as a child a bunch of whoopings. That's the only child service. Services I had, you know, like that. That was so. I mean, American culture was so different than African or Ethiopian culture. It was like night and day. During the day, I would go to school and I would get exposed to how American culture is, whether it's hip hop, whether it's just, I mean, in every aspect. Uh, but then I would, you know, be at home and experience a different sense of culture. Uh, but even, you know, going back to, you know, being culturally aware, and I grew up just ashamed of, you know you know, Africa and Ethiopia because of the negative uh, uh, stigmas and, and perceptions that were there, that there exi- that existed. And I would get made fun of so much at school because uh, that I, you know, because I was different and I didn't know how to take that. I grew up, you know, you know, kind of ashamed to try to fit into these different social groups, ethnic groups, race groups, and just trying to find my place. And I, I, I live life trying to, you know, fit in through middle school, high school, and even getting into college. Um, and then, you know, you get into college and you just start exploring many different things. And one of the things that I just started looking at was, you know, where I came from, where my family comes from. And that really struck a chord with me uh, because I started to see that, you know, that there is an importance in understanding your history and your background. And, you know, I would, I, and then I started asking my family a lot more questions about their own experiences and whatnot. And honestly, I've never even been to Ethiopia or Africa all my life until when I was 21 and I, would, I was out of college, you know, so that was my first time going to Ethiopia, which is a story within itself, but never been to Ethiopia. I would just hear stories and, you know, my family, some of my family members would tell me great things, but sometimes I would hear horrible, you know, horrific stories. So it was almost like this mix of many different things coming at me and I didn't know what to take of it, what to do with it. Um, and then, you know, and I just started just growing and, and learning more about the culture and, and, and what, and, and everything. So I grew up, um, wanting to be able to express who I was, and I used to do that through YouTube. And when I got when I started on YouTube, it was kind of in the very beginning stages when not many people knew what to do with it. And I started kind of playing around with Amharic, and my Amharic is very limited. But you know, I was always you know just having a great time with friends and 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 rapping, and and that that was just how I grew up. So I started making these songs like, and really, and just not even a professional manner, just grabbing a camcorder and, and playing some instrumentals and making songs. And then I, and the first time I, I put out a song, which is funny, it was called Saratinia. And it was, it came from the idea of <laughs> I remember me these videos. 
You know what's crazy? You know, I actually learned so much about the culture just by asking questions. And then my mom or somebody told me back in the days that they had like maids back home and, and you didn't have to be, be even be super rich to have a maid. I nope. was like, what? That's yeah. that's crazy. You know? And and that got me to want to be able to explore more. And then I started just making kind of just being a little more comical with it. And I started making songs on YouTube and 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 it started just kind of going around the world. And it was at that moment when I just started seeing that man, people actually care about what I say, you know, and I started getting emails and people started hitting me up on many different platforms, giving me calls. And I'm just like, wow, things that I just made in my living room that I really didn't think much about is being heard all around the world in London and in all of Europe and Germany. I was just getting rent in DC. <laughs> and I'd never thought that, you know, people even cared about who I was. And and I started seeing that, wow, I have, I play a, a relevant voice that I never knew existed, you know, and it got me to see myself differently, see culture differently, see even like my purpose in life differently. Cause I, it got me even to want to push myself and, and grow, you know, to, to the point where I thought, wow, if I can have this much influence, which is something that I really just, I'm, you know, constantly just not even really, you know, thinking about too much, what happens if I really put some thought and and prayer into this thing and really i'm able to really inspire and influence people all around the world and and not even just by a for in a forceful way of trying to do this just by allowing me to embrace who i am and letting my light shine there's a story that i actually heard uh this week it was about the wind and the sun the wind and the sun were having a conversation and the wind was telling the sun that it was more powerful than the sun so the son said, okay, if you're so powerful, I would love to see it. So the wind looked at this man that was wearing a coat and he said, watch me blow so much wind that it's going to knock this guy's coat off. So the, so the son okay, said, so the son said, okay, got behind the cloud and the wind started blowing with all of its might that it started a tornado. The man was running to refuge and grabbed his coat and held onto it so tight. And then after the, the wind got so tired by blowing, um, it finally said, you know, to the sun, you can just go ahead and, and, and have your turn. So the sun, okay. So, so the sun said, okay, came out from the crowd, uh, from the cloud and then, uh, started to, uh, shine its light. And, and as it shined its light, you know, the, the, the gentleman, uh, wiped his brow and then he, uh, took off his coat and, and went about his business. And what I learned so much about that story or that fable that, that exists is that, you know, influence is usually derived the, the the greatest influence is derived from um, letting your light shine and and the idea of being of, of gentleness than uh, fury and force. So I learned how to be able to shine my light and liberate others to do the same. And I, I'm a big fan of letting actions speak louder than words. And so I think growing up, you know, as I developed as a young man, I started to be able to. Um, be vulnerable and authentic to who I was and embracing my, my culture, who I am as an individual, how I'm growing in many different aspects and and, and allowing people to grow with me and, and be inspired by it. So that's kind of how things kind of um, transpired. That's awesome. Do you, do you remember when you realized that it seems like you, you feel responsible for what you're putting out there? You're not just doing it for entertainment value. When did you realize that there is a responsibility attached to this? Man, when people started listening to things that I say and they would kind of just repeat it. And I, and, I, and it was at those moments when those words started coming back to me. And I just said, you know, at the end of my life, you know, when I'm when I'm old and gray, you know, I want to be able to look back and say that, wow, I gave everything I can 
to serve people and to prove lives. And I don't just want to be an individual that simply entertain people. You know, I want I want it to go past entertainment. I want people to be able to um, deal with tough questions and be able to kind of search their hearts about the purpose and life in general and what their roles and responsibilities are. Because with freedom, with great freedom comes great responsibility. And I've always thought, you know, saw that, you know, freedom is such a powerful tool that we have in this country or in this world. Like, Think about it, like the freedom that we have in this country to say, to do, to act. And for me, you know, I always saw freedom as um, as it's much as it's given, you know, it's it, there's a responsibility that is attached to it. So sometimes freedom isn't the ability to do what you want. It's the right to be able to lay down your rights and be able to do what is right, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I have the right to do so many things. Mm-hmm. I can. I have the right to say what I Want, but is that really using my freedom in the most productive way? Or is it, hey, I do have the rights to do many things, but I'm going to lay down these certain rights that I have in order to do what's right, in order right. to say things that are meaningful, in order to improve lives, in order to make a difference. And that's when things just started triggering. And then in t- actually in 2011 was my first time that I went to Ethiopia. I may have said it when I was 21, but when I was um, I was actually living in, in London when I was 21. But I, I, um, I, in 2011, I went to Ethiopia for the first time to shoot a documentary called Sincerely Ethiopia. And the way that this happened was I was just joking around with my friends about, you know, all these different, you know, things that I learned about the culture. And they said they thought that I've been there. And I told them I'd never even been there. I just hear a bunch of stories and I've kind of painted my own picture. Finally, they said, you know what, you should go. But at the time in 2011, I was broke. I wasn't really making any type of money. So I said, you know what, there's no way I can go. I'm just, I just can't afford it. So then one of my good friends you know, looked at me and said, Nate, you have over 5,000 friends on Facebook. You have this many people on this social platform. What if you asked a dollar from everybody and 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 make a trip like this happen, but at the same time, document your experience? I thought about it. I was like, wow, this is such an amazing idea. Let me do it. And this was before like Kickstarter and all that stuff. So I literally got into my bedroom. I set up this rig with a group of friends and I created this video uh, just telling people how much I wanted to go to Ethiopia and I wanted to create a documentary and take people along on this experience. And um, I just did it, uh, put it on YouTube. And then finally, and I set up a PO box in LA. I lived in South Central LA at the moment. So I set up a PO box for to have people eat, like mail me money. So I was getting cash in the mail, my PO box from people that actually believed in this vision. I was shocked. So at that moment, I started just kind of, you know, hustling and working and, 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 you know, making all of that money. And I got a significant amount of money to make this trip happen. But even when I got the money by the end of the year, I still felt like the money should not take me to Ethiopia or should not pay for my flight. I wanted the money to, you know, be given to the people that I come across in Ethiopia as I'm telling these stories. So I saved that money that people sent me and I started raising my own funds and working and and so forth. So it took me another year to be able to pay for my funds and my friends paid for their own ways to even get there. You know, some of my friends that went on this trip. So everyone kind of believed in the vision and we all got together. We went to Ethiopia for the first time in 2011 to uh, create this documentary called Sincerely Ethiopia, which is about people and projects that are impacting their communities in unique ways. And um, as we're going through the process, I started uh, through the filming my eyes were just open uh, to a whole new world, a whole new culture, a whole new way of living. And it just amazed me. And I remember this one specific time I was recording in front of Addis Ababa University. And I remember my good friend, Johnny B, um, you know, we were recording and he was on the camera. 
and I was, you know, telling, you know, I was, I was saying action. And for some reason, Johnny B wasn't recording. And I looked at Johnny B. I said, Johnny B, we need to capture this. He was like, no, hold on, Nate. I'm like, what do you mean, hold on? We have to record. We're on a tight uh, time frame. Finally said, Nate, just calm down, man. Look at that. I was like, what are you looking at, Johnny B? So we looked to the right. And he says, look at that. There were these kids in an empty parking lot, no shoes, playing soccer with a rug ball. Like a, like, a, like a rubber rug, rug ball. And they, they had torn up clothes, but they were laughing, they were smiling, they were joking around. And Johnny B looked at me and he said, why can't I be that happy? As soon as he said that, man, it just, I mean, that broke me. And it got me to really be able to look at myself as an individual and look at when, like all of the things that I was had access to growing up, the resources. I mean, I had a roof over my head. I had food in my stomach. I had so much to be thankful for. You know, God has blessed me so much in my life. But just seeing that in the midst of that production and my boy, you know, you know, driving my attention towards that, it got me to be able to look at life in a completely different way. And I started looking at fulfillment is not external. It has to be internal. And what these kids had, they didn't have anything external to make them happy. You know, they they literally had, you know, something that was just so God-given to them that was internal that I wanted that too for myself. Because I think so many times we can get caught up in our lives and complain and compare. We, we actually compare and then we complain. We we compare our lives to somebody else that we see on social media or that or, you know, at a different stage in life. And we compare, you know, someone's chapter 14 to our chapter one or we compare someone's highlight reel to our behind the scenes. And what, when we start comparing, we start complaining. And 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 that that that's one thing that I just saw in, in, in through those moments and you know, that I need to stop comparing. I need to start just embracing all the blessings that God has given me in my life and do something with those blessings before you know I leave this world. So I look at everything that I have, you know, generosity is huge for me, man. I, you know, I like, you know, but it comes from a place of gratitude first. You got to understand that you know you have that you have so much to be thankful for. And out of that thankfulness, you have the capacity to be able to give what you can. So um that documentary experience didn't just I mean, it wasn't just a great documentary that we came out with, but it was an impactful experience for me. And I know a lot of the team members that went on it. That's awesome. I, I want to get back to where this inspiration, where it all started. It sounded like you said that you have, you know, your church that you started going to in uh, Texas had a huge impact on you. How did that have a huge impact on you? When did you realize, you know, you had a creative, you know, tendency or a way of telling stories and such? Well, I think everything that I've been able to create, you know, ha- was birthed through not just my skill set, uh, you know, or education or whatever, but it's by the grace of God. And it's birthed out of insecurity. It's birthed out of, um, it's birthed out of flaws. It's birthed out of my failures. And I've come to a place to realize that I'm okay with not being perfect. I think life is not about you being able to be perfect. It's about you managing your imperfections really well. Um, I've learned that, you know, in order for me to be able to teach or inspire or to improve someone's life, I have to be able to be vulnerable with me first. I have to be able to embrace um, the down moments just as much as the up moments. And growing up as a kid, you know, my dad left when I was 10 years old. So I was raised by a single mother and my young and I had two younger brothers. And I was always more of the father figure in the house. So I grew up with responsibilities pretty fast. 
and I had all of these questions in my head about not being good enough or being or dealing with rejection at such a young age. And I didn't know what to do about it. And um, and I didn't have any male figures in my life. I had uncles and, you know, a few people here and there. But, man, you know, we're diasporas, African diasporas. You know, I never had a a young African diaspora entrepreneur, filmmaker, godly person that I can look up to. You know, I would w- think about it like, you know, diasporas as the first generation or second generation, whatever you like to call it. We're actually the first. We're like pioneers. So I had to learn, you know, through people my age or maybe a little older, they may be a little different. I had to really grab things here and there that I saw fruit from people's lives. So I would just grab and piece together certain things that will build me up. And I had a youth pastor that was impactful that impacted me greatly named Andy, um, that, you know, that, that, you know, served at the Ethiopian church to a certain level, but, you know, he started having Bible studies at an apartment when I was 13 years old. And, and that's when I started to to get exposed to who God was and that God is not just this abstract conceptual figure, but this is a living, breathing, uh, you know, God that, that is, that loves me unconditionally. And when, when I, when I finally felt that and, and, and experienced that in my life, I started seeing that, wow, I'm made with purpose. You know, even though certain struggles and, and challenges happen in my life that I can't make sense of till this day, I know that God is making it for the good. And out of that moment, I just started to be able to see life in a different way that, you know, I, everything that I do is out of um, the lens of my faith. Like, you know, you know that everything that I do, whether it's humanitarian work or filmmaking or TV producing, TV hosting, marketing, everything that I do is built off a narrative through my faith. So it, it drives everything that I do. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of grew in that faith and in creativity and, and started to be able to look at ways uh, that I can just embrace who I am and serve people because I can never, I never really saw myself as a pastor. I never saw myself as a worship leader, never saw myself as an usher in the church. I mean, you know, like those things are just things I always try to serve in to, to different capacities, but I felt like I never fit in. And, and I was, I never fit in the African culture, Ethiopian culture. I never fit in the American culture. I never fit in, you know, fully in the church. I just felt like, wow, I'm not that serious. I like to joke around. I like to, you know, I, you know, I, I like to act up here and there, you know, but it took a while for me to for God to be able to look, you know, allow me to see that everything that I have is enough, you know, to be able to do everything I'm meant to do in this world. And it took me a while for me to be able to look at, you know, my life as something meaningful and as something valuable. Because we live in a world where they want to put you in boxes. If you don't fit in this box, that means you're invaluable. If you don't fit over here, that means um, you know, there is no meaning for your life. And I beg to differ. And that's a part of like this journey I've been learning, even when I'm making these films, even this new film, The Diaspora Journal, like this film that I have is now my experience of going through Ethiopia and meeting interesting people. And there's funny stories, but there's meaningful moments. But all of these different things, like I've, I've learned that, wow, every, every, um, every, um, like wall that I faced like every barrier has now become a bridge for me to be able to connect with other people. I've grown in empathy. So like, you know, all of these different things that have happened in my life, these challenges, these struggles, now I can speak from an authoritative place because I experienced it. And this is something that many people don't understand. Like if you can be able to look at your failures, your struggles and your challenges as a space that you navigate regularly, that, you, that you've that you experienced, it empowers you to be able to have a narrative an authoritative voice. And if you and when you have that authoritative voice, you have power to be able to speak from a relevant place. So for me, every little experience that I have in my life, 
I, I see that as, um, as a platform to be able to say, wow, I've been, I've been blessed with an opportunity to, ex to experience struggle. I've been blessed with an opportunity to experience challenges. I've been blessed with an opportunity to be blessed with things that many people don't think are, are blessings. But at the same time, I'm understanding that all of these things that have made me who I am has gotten me allowed, has empowered me to um, speak from an authoritative place. And and that's not something that I take lightly. I, I wanted to find out what what are the some of the struggles you mentioned a couple of times. I wanna I wanna get in the weeds of things, man. I, I want to know what are these instant because honestly, people want people are interested in the hurdles because a lot of times people think that oh he's got it easy, you know he's in, he's enjoying what he's doing. He's a, he's a filmmaker. He's on TV. He's 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 got a comfortable life. What are some of those hurdles that people don't know about that you have to go through? Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, as I told you, like, I, you know, I had my, my mom is everything for me. You know, she she definitely raised me as a single mom and and I had a loving family. And, you know, you know, we didn't have much, but we had we had each other, you know, and that's one of the greatest things. But for me, um, I mean, challenges have always occurred, even like right now in my life, like I left um, uh, a television network right now and I moved back to Texas. I'm kind of displaced right now, you know, starting my own digital marketing production company and I'm kind of bouncing between Dallas, Austin, these different places, you know, and I'm kind of touring with this film, but I'm not at a place in my life where everything is perfect. Like I'm, you know, it, it you know, I've understood that every little thing that I'm, I'm dealing with right now, it's for a purpose. So like, um, it's, there, there's just so many different challenges that I deal with every single day of my life. There's doubts there, you know, of, of me even me pushing forward and me being able to ask myself, what's the point of, of what I'm doing? Cause you know, I'm not at a certain place in my life where I feel like I have the luxury to be able to do it. But I honestly, it's, it's by the grace of God, like just keep pushing forward. And there's like encouraging emails that I get every so often or, or things in my Instagram or Twitter, you know, from people that, are being impacted by certain things that I do that I just overlook all the time because I just feel like it's my responsibility. I don't think it's something that's worth celebrating sometimes, you know? So it's funny sometimes when people celebrate certain things that I may do, but for me, I just see it as my responsibility. I've always, I've grown up like that. So sometimes I, I am hard on myself. I get discouraged, um, you know, whether it's financially, you know, not, you know, just struggling in that capacity or loneliness, you know, sometimes when you're as a leader, you deal with loneliness. Whenever you're doing something new or you're leading, you're you'll always get criticized more than you get celebrated. You know, and and every in things that you do. So like, I deal with those things. I deal with, I mean, I've dealt with depression. I mean, man, like there's there's so many things that we deal with in our lives. But the one thing that I've understood is that I'm not alone. I have a God that that's with me every step of the way, and I know there's people around the world that's dealing with the same things. So the one thing that I've learned how to do more in my life is, man, I gotta be vulnerable about these things. And I know that there's something beautiful that can be birthed out of these dark moments. The light shines the brightest in the darkness. You know, I've, I've always been a firm believer of that. So it's not perfect. I choose to smile. I choose to laugh. I choose to find the silver lining in every, I mean, in everything. Um, that's a decision I make every single day of my life. I don't think anyone is always constantly in great places and, sp and spaces in life. I think you're going to go through ups and downs. And for me, I've gone through it. I'm still going through it to this day. Um, you know, but I, it's just a constant reminder, you know, of 
of um, the little things that you have in life. And you can always, you know, choose to look at the things that are negative or you can wake up every morning to be able to look at, wow, I'm going to really choose and make a decision to be able to look at the positive things that are happening right now and what I'm capable of doing right now in my life. That's awesome. Were you, as a kid, were you, were you, were you like an entertainer? Were you one of those kids who it's, it was obvious that you were going to end up, um, you know, as a storyteller or a filmmaker of some sorts? Yeah, I grew up as a kid with ADD, and I, I was kind of a little bit all over the place. I had a lot of energy. Um, I was always, I mean, if picking up a camera, doing things that were just creative, hanging out with friends. I was um, always thinking about, I was always doing projects. I, you know, it was just weird. I was just something I, always, I gravitated towards as a young kid. Uh, entertaining has just always been my within just within me. Um, I, I grew up like that. Um in the, in the house, I mean, again, like I saw certain things in my life that were just so funny to me that, that, I, that I dealt with. I mean, whether it's the culture clash or the barrier or the generational uh, things that are happening in life that I just see such a big difference in. I always find certain things that, you know, that entertain me. And later on, when I you just mentioned it, would entertain others and people would just be entertained by it. So for me, entertainment has always been a big thing. I've I grew up watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I grew up, you know, watching all of these cool shows, man, that I wish kids had these days, yeah. but they don't. And I feel like, man, y'all are so deprived. Y'all didn't grow up with certain things that I did. But you know, all of them were also a source of entertainment, and yeah. they all, you know, they all were great things that I kind of, kind of escaped to, and 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 wasn't entertained by, and and I reflected a lot of the stuff that I I took in as a kid. Isn't it crazy that? The kids that are growing up in this generation, like teenagers, yeah. I don't think they understand the concept of fun. Like, <laughs> seriously, like the the TV programming and everything, it's not. It's there's no in, there's no innocence in any of the stuff that they they consume. Oh, you know, I feel like so we bad. growing up. Yeah. I mean, even Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I mean, honestly, there wasn't a, a time where it was it was always goofy and fun, and there was nothing dark or. Uh, just heavy, you know. You're 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 absolutely right. I mean, I mean, if you just go online on social media, I mean, there's so many negative, crazy things out there that people are getting exposed to regularly, which is even more of a reason why I really remind myself of everything that I'm doing because, I mean, negativity travels fast, positivity travels so slow. Like <laughs> you know, true. especially with content. So like, yeah, even I, sure. I noticed that. That's that's even a, a big drive for me that, you know, I can be in a place where I'm providing positive, inspiring content to people in a world that is being bombarded by such negative uh, pieces of content and messages. And what we're intaking naturally every day of our lives is detrimental to our growth and, and us as human beings. So it, I'm always reminded by that because I engage with that and I, I have agree. to really be intentional in like the podcasts that I listen to, the yep. videos that I watch. The, the, the people that the company that I keep around me, like I, I really do protect that. I, I live life with intention. I don't just consume any and everything that I just see other people consuming or things that I just come online. Like I, I'm very intentional from the morning that I wake up at 530 in the morning. I have intentionality within my day of, you know, of how of what I intake, what I outtake, you know, what I do, you know, who, you know, the relationships that I keep around me, I'm very intentional with that because, you know, I understand that what I intake is what I'm going to outtake. So 
it's important to be also knowledgeable of what is happening in the world and and the responsibility that you carry in life. Yep. What is if for somebody who doesn't know you, what's a good intro on YouTube? Because you you've got like I think you've got like about eighty videos on YouTube. What's yeah. the what's the first thing that they should watch? And I'm gonna play it right now for them. Uh, de- <laughs> okay, okay. Um, it depends on. <laughs> It depends on what type of mood you're in. If you just want to be able to laugh and you're at a family gathering, you definitely should watch the Butt of video with me getting whooped. And, and you know, that was a fun video that I did at my boy Evan's house one night. And and I got a lot of views. That's just funny. Um, inspiring content. I mean, there's so much great things with Sincerely Ethiopia. Um, I'm currently doing a film tour right now with the Diaspora Journal. You know, I'm, it's not out, but the trailer is out. You can definitely check that out. So here's a clip from one of Nate's videos on YouTube. One amazing opportunity that I got a chance to be a part of in Ethiopia was to be a Wayala. And a Wayala is kind of a taxi cab's assistant that goes around the city and yells out random uh, parts of town that uh, the taxi cab is going to. Electronics? Okay. What type of electronics? Laptop? TV. TVs? Flat screen? You got flat screens or no? Bonus. Not in the now. Is she in there? Flat screen TVs. It's going down. What is that? Let's go home happy. Is she? Let me ask you this question. What's the most important thing in life? Just being happy. Just being happy. Yeah. With what do you have? Just being happy with what you have. Yeah. Do you feel like you've lived a happy life? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Right now, I started a cooking show. Actually, you'll be you'll be uh, very interested in so this. So I it's saw like... it, and you got me good on the very first post because I, I was like, All right, "What is he gonna make?" It was. I was like, "Yeah, let's do this. This is gonna be good." To tell tell the audience yeah, about it, the it, and that was like the <laughs> teaser to the show, right? Yeah, it was just a one minute, but we have a <laughs> we have a full show coming out next week, and then we're gonna create more episodes. But it was it stemmed from a conversation I had with my friend Brandon, and it's, he's an old college friend, and we were just talking. The actually, I was in the car driving with him after church with him and his fiance, and I was asking him. I said, Brandon, so do you cook at home? And he was about to answer in a roundabout way to try to tell me that he doesn't, but he does. But his fiance looked at him. She said, No. Like really quick, we all started bust out laughing, and I was like, "Brandon, all you had to say was no. You didn't really have to try to give me this whole roundabout thing of how you don't cook." But then we started laughing, and we're like, "You know what, man? We, I said, we as men need to step up and learn how to cook. What if we did a cooking show?" And we just started talking about this idea of like having a men, a cooking show for men, and then out of nowhere. It was. I think we talked about it on Sunday, and we. I literally showed up with a group of friends here that 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 you know that are in production. We showed up to his apartment, and we literally recorded a show in his kitchen on that Thursday. Like we didn't waste any time. So this show is pretty much a cooking show for men. It's comical, but at the same time, and and if you guys watch it, you'll see why. But we're gonna also expand it and actually, you know, actually create you know, 
cool things that people can be able to cook in their own homes. So it's going to grow. The show is going to grow into like, you know, it's going to be funny. But at the same time, you're going to learn a few uh, cooking tips of, you know, certain dishes that may be useful for you. Um, but I felt like, wow, we as men need to step up our game in the kitchen, you know, like, like milk and Cheerios. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You'll be surprised how many people screw up cereal in the morning, especially when you're tired and you're just lazy. Sometimes you don't get the right amount of milk for the cereal and your cereal's just drowning in milk and your cereal's yeah, like, Yeah, cereal oh, first my gosh. and then milk. All right. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. So I, it's funny things, man. It start all of the cr- crazy content that I have out stems from conversations. I'm a, I'm a big fan of personal conversations. And from there, that's when, you know, great things happen when you have those authentic moments. That's awesome. Where did you go to school? I went to school at Concordia University um, in Austin. Uh, that was, um, it's a private liberal arts Christian university. And then I studied in London um, at Oak Hill College for about six months. And then I traveled to Concordia, Irvine, um, in the greater Los Angeles area. And I went to school out there as a visiting student for a year and then graduated back in Concordia, Austin. And I graduated with a mass communications degree and then uh, just got my master's degree in business administration uh, last December. What kind of response do you get from family members, you know, when you're doing all this entertainment stuff? And then, I know you know, it, <laughs> you know where this conversation is going, right? Lemon engineer at honim. Lemon, you know. <laughs> you know there, are things, there are three things that African or Ethiopian yeah. families want you to be. A lawyer, a doctor, an engineer. I struck out. Well, let's just be honest here. Um, I struck out really bad. I remember my first semester in college, I actually went in as a pharmacy major because my mom wanted me to be a pharmacist. And it was the only thing you could possibly do in the household, apparently. So I went there and I, I was taking some science courses. And one of the classes I took, which I heard was the easiest science course, but somebody lied to me. Um, it was a, a class called zoology, the study of animals. So I, I was uh, in a class and I started you know, my, I mean, I did everything. I sat in the front row. I was taking notes. I was a good student. And I remember my first test. I got like a 65 on it. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to hurt. 65. I got to step my game up. So then I started getting in study groups and really, you know, just trying to grind it out. And then my second test came out like a 58. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going downhill quick. This is horrible. So I went to talk to the professor. I said, hey, I can pass this class. This is horrible. And the professor gave me a few tips. And I started just, you know, trying out different things. And honestly, I failed that class my first semester. And it was horrible. Um, again, I tried my best. Science is not my thing. So I remember being in a speech class. And one of my professors, my, my speech professor, was telling me, he was like, you know what, Nate, you're very talented. You're an, you, you really are an effective communicator. He said, have you ever thought about being a uh, communications major? I was like, what? What is that? And in my mind, I was like, we, I grew up in an Ethiopian household. Like communication was not on the list of what you could be able to do as a major. You know, like my mom would not be pleased with that at all. So communications, I mean, that was never, you, you know, I couldn't even fathom what. So I asked him, I said, what can you do with that? Because I never really learned about that. He said, well, you can get into public relations. You can get into television, journalism, and all these different things. So at that moment, I said, you know what? This could be something interesting. So science wasn't going well for me. And pharmacy, definitely, I mean, I would definitely have to be, you know, effective in, in those classes in which I wasn't. So I decided by my own will, mind you, that I'm going to go down and get a, a mass communications degree. So I switched it. So I remember coming home Christmas break after my first semester of, of college. And I said, uh, mom was asking me while she was cooking. 
Well, actually, I'm going to set the scene for you. My mom is cooking in the kitchen, and I'm sitting on the couch just watching TV. And then my mom is asking me, so, uh, Nate, how is uh, school? I said, uh, Mom, school's great. Everything's going good. But I switched my major. And she was like, oh, really? To what? And I said, well, Mom, you know, things are just cool. I didn't like my science classes. I just didn't feel like pharmacy was the best fit. And this is, okay. So then, you know, she, you could hear her stirring a little slower. And I'm like, okay, okay. She, and you know, she's like, so uh, what are you thinking? I said, well, you know, I've been asking a lot of friends. I talked to a professor in my speech class about things. And, you know, and he gave me a couple of suggestions. And so, okay. So then at that moment, she stepped outside of the kitchen and walked over to the living room. And then, dun, 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 the moment we've all been waiting for, the confrontation. I hated this moment. So then she asked me, what are you going to do? I literally told her, well, at first I took a deep breath because I knew it was about to go down. Mm -hmm. I, I said, uh, communications. Oh, okay. What is that? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, she had this like look on her face. Like I just said something that, I mean, should not never been said. Like, you know, like I just cussed her out or something. I don't know what happened, but it, it was like this look of disappointment. <laughs> and it was just so funny. Like just, and, and later down the line, I understand where she's coming from. And I'll tell you why afterwards, but back to the story. I literally told her communication. She was just like, okay, you know, you sure you don't want to be a doctor? And like, you know, you know, I was like, no, I don't think I want to be a doctor. You sure you don't want to be a lawyer? <laughs> no, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. I think I want to go with mass communications. And she was like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know, something with television. I'm just, I like, I like that. I like media. I mean, you could tell the disappointment that she had, mm -hmm, but at the same time, you know, it took a while for her to be able to kind of break out and say, wow, my son is passionate about it. He's showing that he, you know, is very, being very intentional with it. And she allowed me to kind of grow in that direction, which I'm was so happy about. Uh, but it wasn't easy to be able to have that conversation because again, you know, when you're, when, you know, my mom, you know, coming into the United States, look, seeking education and opportunity, you know, dealing with culture barriers at the time, racial, I mean, barriers. She she actually came through persecution and, and came through the church to a school in Nebraska. Like, think about it, an African girl in Nebraska just trying to be able to learn. And then she graduated, met my dad, and then had me in Dallas. And they fought hard all their lives to be able to provide an opportunity and great education for me. And then when her son goes to school and then comes back with a major that she just is not used to hearing about or really is, you know, doesn't understand, you know, I understand that aspect of it, you know, looking back because I understand life was very difficult for her and she made a lot of sacrifices for me. So, you know, she wanted what's best for me. And sometimes it's very hard to allow your kids to be able to grow into their own because, um, you know, you can only give them so much, you know, and at, at one point you have got to allow your kids to be able to make decisions for themselves and keep them in prayer. And I think God takes care of everything else. And that's what he's done with my life. Well put. So tell me about the last job that you had. You were a TV personality. What was the, the TV station and, and what kind of programming was it? And how did you get that gig more importantly? Um, when I was at, when I, when I moved to LA, I moved to LA with a friend to help start a church called Paradigm Ministries. And, um, and I, I, I was, you know, kind of serving there and working there. And at the same time, I went to college at Concordia, Irvine. And when I was in Irvine, I had the opportunity to intern for this television network called TVN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And I worked specifically for uh, their youth network, which is called Juice TV. And I just did everything from 
um, interview pre-interviewing guests, um, you know, making sure that they're good on set and helping the producer, the directors with whatever they need and so forth. And, you know, I just did that for like a year while I was out here in California. And then I moved and I got a chance actually to host a show or two in that process due to maybe a host being sick and me stepping up. And I, st- and I guess they started seeing that talent in me and that passion. And I started developing more of that television personality through those moments. And I just became comf- comfortable for the camera. And, um, and then when I went back to Texas, I graduated and, um, and then some years passed. And then finally I got re- moved back to California. I got reconnected with the director of one of the networks there. And, um, and I started kind of traveling and doing some hosting opportunities with them. I just built a good relationship with them. And then when I was in my MBA program, I had the opportunity to be able to kind of create a comprehensive marketing plan for any small business or anything that was in the area. That, and I chose to do it with uh, Juice TV, which is the youth network. And I, they accepted the proposal and I created a, I did six months of reach, research uh, and, and created a comprehensive marketing strategic plan to increase engagement and uh, viewership. And and from that moment, uh, you know, after I did that whole proposal and and, 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 and research and submitted everything, uh, literally the next month, um, I got a position with the network. Um, and then I started working with them, um, doing uh, floor directing, producing. I got a chance to go to Israel and I produced five 30-minute uh, television shows with a one-hour documentary special, which was amazing. I got it was such a fun experience. I do I did editing, um, marketing. I pretty much wore many hats. I was just all over the place. And then I just came to a place in my life where, man, that was amazing. Such an amazing experience. I just felt like God was telling me that it's a new season for me now, and I moved on. So I moved back back to Texas, which is where I'm currently at right now, and I partnered with a good old college friend of mine, and we started this uh, kind of a creative company uh, called Risk Happy and um, and uh, with a production company called Observe Good, and you know, I also have my own production company. So we're kind of just partnering on different projects, doing everything um from I mean just just creative it's kind of like a creative agency that and and it feels good to be back in this space and I've always wanted to be able to kind of take a risk and own my own business um just never had the opportunity to all my life and now an opportunity presented itself and it's not easy because I'm working from home you know and I'm doing a bunch of other types of projects here and there contract work here and there but you know it's it's a big risk for me but I felt that this is the right this is the next step I need to be in and I'm I'm up for the challenge and 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 I think one thing I learned this week is that um, from a, a lady named Lisa Nichols she was she was getting interviewed and she said uh, your conviction and your convenience never live on the same block or the same zip code so for me in order for me to be able to follow my conviction and what is next for my life I had to be able to sign up for inconvenience and there's no way that you can live a convenient life and follow your conviction because conviction is something that's God that's God given and it requires you to trust God. And for me, I've constantly been in places in my life where I've had to trust God with certain things, and it's not easy because it doesn't make sense. But this is part of the beauty of life, like embracing every season that you're at right now, embracing the mistakes, the failures, the weaknesses, the challenges. For me, I thrive on that. I've become comfortable with being uncomfortable in my life. If I get comfortable, I know something is wrong. <laughs> like I, that's that's how I, 
I've, I've taken life right now. So for me, I'm in a very uncomfortable moment, uh, but but for some reason, there's this peace in my heart about where I'm at and with what I'm doing. And um, I can't explain it, but I know I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. So you have two big projects that you did, two documentaries. The first one is Sincerely Ethiopia. The second one is The Diaspora Journal. Can you tell yeah. us about these two projects? How you were first is like, you know, how did the idea even come about? How did you do it? And, you know, let's talk about Sincerely Ethiopia first. Like when when did you decide that you were going to do this? Uh, Sincerely Ethiopia came about when my friend was actually joking around and saying that I could literally go to Ethiopia if I really wanted to for the first time and create a documentary if I just you know, went online and asked for a dollar and I created a dollar campaign out of it. And people started giving me money. And as I was starting to do that, I started getting a little more confident in this vision. And people started gravitating towards me about wanting to be able to help out and support. And I had no idea why. And people were just bought into the vision. And then it just I just grew in confidence because of that. I said, you know what, this is going to happen. So that was in 2011. I think 2013 was when we went out there and, and shot the film. And the film was, I actually had some great help from a good friend named Helen. And my friend Johnny B came with me, Herman, who was an amazing um, cinematographer, videographer, and he came with me. And all of us were not filmmakers. Like we were never, I never graduated with a filmmaking degree. I literally walked in the aisles of Best Buy asking people, what does this camera do? What does this do? And then, okay, so if this camera does this, if this camera does that, what's going to give me better quality? What's going to give me, what's the ISO? What's the aperture? What's the, like, I had to learn these terms and, and how things function. I never went, I, I never got a filmmaking degree. So I literally YouTubed everything and got with my friends who never did any, like, serious films. And we went on a journey together. And I was literally experiencing Ethiopia for this first time while I was documenting my experience. And nothing will be that genuine or authentic moving forward with any film that I make because there was just this level of authenticity like that I had just with my friends, learning as I'm shooting and going and growing. Like it was such an amazing experience. So we got there and we created a film about eight people. We narrowed it down to eight. There was maybe about 15, 20 people that we had interviews with. We were interviewing at people's homes, at Kali's Coffee, all, shops, all these different places in, in Addis and Bole. And, and finally, we narrowed down to eight people that we felt like could be able to share their story in a great way, would be comfortable from the camera, and that we would have a good amount of access to in order to tell their story right. So it was a great attempt on us, just kind of going by faith and, and bringing our resources together and kind of creating a, a, a documentary film that can impact people around the world. Because there was, again, growing up that stigma of all the negativity that happened in Ethiopia. And I wanted to be able to tell a different narrative. I wanted to be able to say that, hey, you know, drought, disaster, devastation, all of this stuff exists in Ethiopia, but also exists around the world too. It's not just an Ethiopia thing. You know, like these are global issues, and, you know, that are happening in the world. So I knew that if I can be able to tell a story, leaving those things present, because I'm not gonna, you know, I can't negate everything that's happening there, but I can tell a story that's not being told, which is the people that are choosing every single day to overcome those circumstances and helping others overcome as well. So that's what I was kind of leaning towards and the narrative I wanted to share. I, you know, the, these devastations, destructions aren't the end for people. Like there's more to it. And I, and I felt like not, there was no media that I actually came across that was telling that side of the story. So I felt like, wow. Me being a diaspora, 
going to Ethiopia and wanting to be able to learn and share these story, overcoming stories. This is what people need to hear my generation. Like people need hope, people need light, people need the, the idea to know that everything will be okay. And to be able to look at people's circumstances and be able to see that, man, if they can do it, I can do it too. And that's what Sincerely Ethiopia was. It was more than a film, but it was also a platform for you to be able to, for, for me, it was a platform to give people voices of, you know, kind of showcasing their lives and, and how they overcome everyday life. And at the same time, a bridge for diasporas or people around the world that are watching these people so they can get connected to either support their initiatives or just connect to have conversations because Ethiopia doesn't need this whole Western savior person. They, they, there's this Western savior complex that we, we grew up with when we visit these countries, uh, these developing countries. And as much as we can help them, they can help us. And I went to Ethiopia not just as a Western savior, but as a as a humble servant. And, and that's how I wanted to handle everything. I wanted to be able to go into the country and be able to look at, wow, how can I serve here? How can I listen? How can I be able to observe? How can I be able to walk alongside people and just do life with people? And I think so many times we get lost in, in trying to find solutions that we forget to be able to walk with people through their problems, if that makes sense. Like there's this thing, there's this thing about empathy, and we're dealing with it in our country today in America. Like we want to talk about people that you know with with Trump or what's happening in these low economic areas, the protest, the police brutality. We want to talk about all of these things and blame people because there's always a hero and a villain in every story, right? But we no one ever wants to be able to build bridges and be able to understand. Okay, if you think that Black Lives don't matter and you think that it's a terrorist group or it's a, a group of people that are rioting. You know, what are you really doing to be able to further, to seek to understand why black people feel like their lives don't matter? Or, you know, or on the other side, you know, when, when you see policemen kind of jump the gun or, or do all of these things, why do people, why do police officers, you know, kind of have this, I, this fear? Maybe it's, it's out of fear that they're, they're handling certain things or, you know, cause they're people at the end of the day, they just wearing a uniform form and they, they, they want to go home just like everyone else does, you know? So like. I feel like we need to be able to have conversations and develop empathy and 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 seek to understand seek to understand before we seek to speak. Everyone wants to be a voice, but nobody wants to be able to seek to understand. Nobody wants to seek to listen. You know, and I I feel like if we honestly are are seeking to be listeners more than we're seeking to be a voice, things will transpire a lot easier for us at least in a way where we are, we're coming at it from a more constructive approach of love and of understanding, of empathy. And when you have that at the table, you can be able to have now more constructive conversations towards something that is long lasting and effective. Um, you know, so for me, that's exactly what I was going for, you know, with this film and, and Sincerely Ethiopia. I wanted to be able to develop empathy. I wanted to develop understanding before I wanted to develop a film. Was there any, like, learnings from that film when you were shooting it like whether it was technical or any assumptions that you made oh wow um yeah i mean for me again i didn't understand the politics i didn't understand like how things ran in that country so i went zero to a hundred real quick on so many different <laughs> things because there's just frustrations i mean when mm. you're when you're when you're shooting a film anywhere around the world but specifically in africa and ethiopia like there's so many everyone's everyone's a lawmaker like the, the the coffee shop guy's a lawmaker automatically how so 
Oh my gosh. It's almost like everyone has this level of authority that they just don't have. Like, it's so funny. Like, and, you know, like they'll, people will just get, harass you just to harass you and give you a hard time because they're curious or you, 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 you're a diaspora or you're different and people will just kind of give you a hard time. So I, that was part of the frustrations. <laughs> people true. will stick, people will stare at you. Like yeah, I was true. driving through, I was literally driving through the streets and people were staring at me and I'm like, why are they staring at me? And it's rude in America when you stare at you. But it's just what it is, man. That's, it is there's what actually, it is. Uh, there's actually a story of like, and this really happened to somebody that I know. Where he went to go get checked up at a clinic, and yeah. the guard was like, "Mina Like, what? What? Yeah. Are you, yeah, what's wrong with what you? Are you? What's wrong with you? Why? Why are you here? He's trying to diagnose his. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. It's Seriously, man. Yeah, you, I started just seeing how things ran in the country, and then from a, I had to be able to say, okay. Let me pause. Let me take a breather. Let me not compare the Western world to this country. Let me fully embrace how things function and operate here. And as soon as I started doing that, you know, the frustrations didn't stop. But I'll tell you this, it minimized because I stopped comparing and I just started living and embracing and being patient. And, you know, and, and you got to have that when you're in that country. You can't just operate from a Western world mindset. So for me, I grew in patience through the film. I grew in just understanding how things work, um, you know, and and I took it as that, you know, I, I didn't, I, there's nothing more, nothing less than that. So I, yeah, managed to go back and shoot this next film. The di- Actually, the Diaspora Journal is not even something I shot new. This was footage that I collected that didn't show up on Sincerely Ethiopia. It, oh, I just really? Did so it. it wasn't a new, it wasn't technically a, a new project per se? What's crazy is uh, last year I was just chilling in my room and I was looking at old footage and I started seeing all this type of thing, all the all of this footage that I did in Ethiopia that never made it online or even in the Sincerely Ethiopia film. And I, I thought to myself, wow, this could be a film. So I started writing and I got into my Google Doc and I started writing a script based off of the things that I did. There were certain things that I did as like, you know, being a Wayala, which is a taxi cab's assistant that takes people across the city. I did that in Ethiopia on my break during we were shooting during, you know, between scenes of Sincerely Ethiopia. I was literally just chilling in the street with a group of my friends. And I said, wow, I love what those taxi people are doing. How could I want to be a part of that experience. So I had my friend walk up to one of the, 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 the taxi, um, uh, drivers and ask if we can rent a taxi van for about an hour or two hours and just give people free rides because I just wanted to get to know people and I wanted to be able to serve. So I just said, you know what, let me just get to know people. And my friends were just all about it. So we rented a taxi van and we started giving people free rides all around the city and having amazing conversations. And I learned so much from people. And I and I, I was looking at that content and I was looking at content where I was just, I, I took a day in the life of a shoe shiner. I literally shined shoes in Gurji just because I wanted to be able to understand what these you know kids were, were going through to a certain extent, you know? And, and, and again, I'm all about walking with people through life instead of just, you know, you know, you know, talking from a podium. I want to be able to be a person that walks on the pavement. So for me, that was my experience. I, I wanted to shine shoes for a couple of hours. And I did that with with a shoe shiner. I went to his home. I got a chance to see that, you know, he lived in a small square, you know, room with three other shoe shiner boys. And they are so smart. They're so, I mean, man, I met this kid named Buttercup, right? I might be getting off talk, topic, but this is huge. This kid named Buttercup. Did you say Buttercup? Buttercup. Oh, Buttercup. <laughs> buttercup. I thought you yeah, said Buttercup, pants. and I was like, that doesn't nah, sound nah, like nah. an Ethiopian name. <laughs> buttercup. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Buttercup. Sorry. Buttercup. 
So I, so I met this kid named Buttercut. And um, what's so awesome about this kid is he traveled from the southern region of Ethiopia to Bole, and he became a shoe shiner at the age of 10. Actually, at the age of eight. I met him when he was 10. And um, and this kid shines shoes all day during the day, and at night he goes to school. And I remember one day on, on Sunday night, I believe, I was going to go play soccer with a group of friends, and I asked him to come along. And he told me he couldn't. I was like, why not? He said, well, I have to go wash clothes because I have school in the morning. The mm. kid is 10 years old. Wow. 10. Wow. Like, to be able to wow. look at a grown-up and be mm. able to kind of decline and offer to have fun. I mean, yeah. I don't remember what I was thinking about when I was 10, but it was not that. <laughs> so, there was this, so there was this level of maturity and responsibility and of this kid, that's, of this 10-year-old kid that I saw. And I was just like, I was blown away by it. I was like, man, I, lear- I can learn so much from you. Um, but... Stories like that—that's—that's that's exactly what I was able to capture, uh, in uh, you know, outside while I was shooting *Sincerely Ethiopia*. So the Diaspora Journal is a reverse um, of *Sincerely Ethiopia*. *Sincerely Ethiopia* is about people and projects that are impacting their communities in unique ways, and the Diaspora Journal is about my experience meeting these people and how it's impacted my life from being born and raised in America and going to Ethiopia and experiencing those things, and now what I believe my identity is and my responsibility is now in the world. One of the things that I like about how you did it was when I saw uh, the clip from when you were doing the Wayala thing, which is a Wayala is a person who basically hails people down for the taxi minivans in Ethiopia. You you didn't do it in a way that was mocking Wayalas. You did it to show really like the hustle and, you know, you did it in an entertaining way. But I like that it, it was more of an experience and not so much like a mockumentary of, of like, Oh, Hey, here's, you know, I'm a Westerner. I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm pretending to be a Wayala. You, you were really about the experiences of people, right? Yeah, most definitely. Um, again, when I go to Ethiopia, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm, you know, I'm blown away by the life of people and I've just learned to be able to kind of embrace these experiences and put myself out there. And I never wanted to be able to like, you know, mock anyone. I've always said, you know, in order for me to be able to have someone's walls, you know, come down, I've got to bring down my walls. I've got to be able to be vulnerable and and be able to come from a vulnerable place. So me taking on that role, I really shine the light on me and be able to say that, hey, I may not understand Amarinya perfect. I may not be able to understand your world perfectly, but I'm willing to try. And I'm willing to speak regardless. I'm willing to be able to make an effort. And no one can deny effort. They can deny a lot of things, but they can't deny effort. So me coming into this country, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to come in with effort and with humility and be able to, and of course, my personality just speaks for what it is. I'm I'm naturally an outgoing type of person. So I I didn't really try to be funny, but it's just who I am and and how I interact with people. It's all fun and and laughs. But at the same time, there's certain great things that I learned through moments like that. And the older gentleman, when I asked him, what's the most important thing in life? He looked at me and said, to be thankful for what we have. And that blew me away because I left things like that in the project for a certain reason, because I said, you know, we can laugh together, you know, we can, you know, go through this entertaining experience, but there's also some substance in it that I always try to feed people with the laughs, with the entertainment, because I think, you know, people would, people want entertainment, but they need truth. And I, and that's something I've, you know, and sometimes, you know, you can't just force truth to people because it's too much and it's not something that they want to take. 
But if you do it in a way where it's light, it's fun, it's entertaining, I, I, I've learned that, you know, truth can be served in many different ways. So I've learned that, you know, I always want to be able to deliver truth in a relevant way, but I, I don't want to be standoffish and I don't want to force it down people, but I want to be able to kind of carry it in a natural, authentic way. And I feel like that bus ride kind of expressed that. So what experience would you or what advice would you give to somebody yeah. who wants to become a storyteller or you know, wants to film a documentary or, or do something creative in that platform? Uh, start with who you are. Um, I think that many people are trying to format stories based off of what's already been told or what they think is going to go viral or what they think is going to, or they're trying to manufacture a story. I, I think the S, the true, if you can be authentic to who you are and embrace your, your, your mistakes, your failures, your challenges, I think there is a market for authenticity and being genuine. Um, for me, I think we live in a world that many people are trying to manufacture what life is supposed to look like or this idea of perfection or this idea of what's going to be entertaining in order for people to be engaged. And I think if you're going about it that way, you're going at it backwards because, you know, social media, you're, you're always trying to put up you know, a great image that people can applaud you with. But I think, honestly, there is this thing in life where right now authenticity and being true to who you are speaks more volumes than anything else. That's And it's transparent. People can see right through you. So, you know, if you are authentic to who you are and are telling the story from a, pl a place and a space that is in your heart and is coming from who you are as a person, then I honestly think that you are going to be one of the best storytellers because no one could tell your story better than you. There's a there's a proverb that says, "Until the lion learns how to write, the story will always glorify the hunter." Mm. You know, like you know, and and if you and I think we need to become better writers of our life. We need to be able to tell the stories that you know of what we go through and not be ashamed by it. Like mm. I wish people can really learn how to be a little more. Um, vulnerable and honest with you know who they are as people and i feel like we everyone deals with identity and insecurities and it's okay mm -hmm. we all deal with it but i think it's almost like an onion that's constantly getting peeled through life it's a process we go through these moments in life where we start seeing that wait i'm not supposed to be perfect yeah. like that's that's not the goal for life i'm not supposed to have this like sincerely ethiopia is not a perfect film the diaspora journal is not a perfect film I, it's just a film that i've made out of my imperfections and i'm mm -hmm. okay with it I'm okay with it because I know that whatever it is, you know, it may not win th the most awards. It may not, you know, go to the greatest of places. I may not be on a red carpet for any of it, but I can honestly look myself in the mirror and have peace with myself and with what I've created and what I've contributed to the world. And for me, that's all that counts. We don't, I think people need to understand that you don't need permission from anybody to do what you want to do, you know? <laughs> and most also definitely. people are also always looking at, inspiration to to find inspiration externally and say what is that person doing how can i do that what is this person doing i think people like you said just if you're truly authentic to you you just tell the story that you want to tell that idea that you have just do it don't look at oh my what gosh. other people are doing yeah. just do the thing that you know you want to do yeah i was actually talking to my roommate today and we were talking about it it's crazy like the iphone that we carry in our hand is more powerful than the rocket that was sent to the moon like, you know, like think like, <laughs> like crazy. it's crazy. Like the resources that we have to yeah, this day, sure. like we have so much influence and so much 
power and, 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 and our voices can be heard around the world. Like it's crazy to think about the generation that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I want people to understand that you don't need a television network in order to get your show across. You don't need a, I mean, you, you can literally do everything from your living room, from your bedroom, from where you're at right now, you know, with whatever dream that you have. It just requires action. It requires you to be able to, you know, open up and and learn and and be disciplined and just go after it. And yeah. and you have to be able to be able to take criticism, like you know, and and grow with within that because you're gonna get criticized regardless. But allow yourself to be able to learn through the criticism and uh, give your per- give yourself permission to make mistakes. We don't want to make mistakes yeah, in life. We, okay. we have this idea of being perfect or releasing this perfect song or this perfect film or this perfect yeah. whatever it is, business. You know, it's okay. Get what you can out. Make sure that it's at least functional. Take the criticism as it comes and the critiques and adjust accordingly. And and at the end of the day, you know, as long as you're 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 following your conviction and what's in your heart and you're taking what's out of your heart and your mind into a world and contributing it to make it better, like man, that's that should be rewarding within itself, despite how many people, you know, no matter what people may say of it or take yeah. of it. So for me, that's yeah. where I find my freedom to be able to continue growing and to be able to produce content that can change the world. I agree. The, I, I do have to say though, the Ethiopian criticism is a little—it's a different oh brew. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> it, it, the ingredients are a little different than other types of criticism. It's—it is a different brew. It's, it could break you. I love um, my community too, but it's—it's it's, it's hard. Oh, God, I love it can be hard. It well, can like, be hard. Like, <laughs> oh my! It's like crabs in a bucket. Let me be honest with you. Like it's. It can get pretty frustrating. Um, our, oh my gosh, yeah, I've been judged so much. I mean, they take, they will take li- li- the littlest things and and literally throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, I'm I like, agree. did you not just see this beautiful baby that was made? Like, why are you just don't like? Come on, like, give me a break. Can I get some yeah, grace? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pioneering through some things in my life right now, and I'm doing it in the public, and I'm gonna make mistakes, and I'm okay with it. But I need you to be okay with it too. But if not, it's okay. You know, it's, it's just. It's it's we're people, we're human beings, we have flaws. That's the reality of it, you know. And I've gotten to grow a thicker skin with people in the community and in the world in general, with how people are. And I've just got to be able to say, let me follow the conviction that's in my heart and let me and as long as I can look myself in the mirror at the end of the night, I am good. I will sleep great. I I yeah, don't I I I'm not gonna let anyone's opinion yeah. or you know, it's I, I once heard I once heard an Amharic a quote that said which is basically like advice and a punch is very easy from the person giving it and usually like we're Ethiopians were very ready to give advice <laughs> sometimes oh a punch <laughs> oh my gosh everybody yeah. named mama will give you advice yeah, everybody yeah. I'm like who are you where are you from and they're like, yeah, I, I raised you when you were this little. I don't remember you. I was this little. You just said I was this little. You don't remember me? Oh, my gosh. There are funny things that happen in our culture all the time. But, yeah, man, you, you take it as it is. And you just get thick. You grow a thicker skin. You know, but it is funny. It is funny how things like that happen. <laughs> Nate, what's next for you, man? Oh, my gosh. What is next? I don't know. Um, I know what's now. Um, for me... I'm currently touring with the Diaspora Journal. I'm going to South Dakota, actually, uh, on in, on Wednesday at Augustana. I'm, I'm going to kill this university. Please forgive me if you're hearing this from this university. 
Augustana University in South Dakota. And I've, I didn't even know there were Ethiopian or African people in South Dakota. Let's just be honest here. But um, we're everywhere, there, man. And we, we are, man. The community, the community is, Every corner. is everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going out there. I'm going to be sharing the Diaspora Journal. I'm going to be speaking to a group of students. And then there are some opportunities. I'm, I'm going to be just touring throughout the year um, with this film. And then as well as working on um, some startup projects and, and, you know, things that are happening right now. Um, so it's there's a lot of crazy things that I'm just kind of involved in right now that I'm just excited about that will probably be released pretty pretty soon. And nice. if anybody wants to know anything, I mean, you can find it, you know, find more information on my website, NathanArea.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-A-R-A-Y-A. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. You got to say your last name like a like the real I Ethiopian way. Araya. <laughs> Nathan Araya. Araya.com. So you can just get you the, the accent. Um, and then um, and then also my Instagram, Nate Araya, or um, Facebook, Twitter. I'm, I'm Snapchat. I'm literally everywhere doing everything. I have to tell you something funny. So my brother has this ongoing joke. That that the the name Araya is the yeah. only name that you can't makolamet bamarinya and get away with it. <laughs> you know what makolamet is? Is like create a nickname out of me in the sense. <laughs> so in our culture, like you add a iye to the end of every name, right? So it's Arai, how about Araya? <laughs> it'd be like <laughs> it's kind of weird, but it also you you know the point, right? So you would say yeah. Araya, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Araya is not it, the name it, that you can make. <laughs> it, uh, it definitely doesn't. Yeah, I would, def- yeah. I would not want to rock with that. Yeah, you don't want to rock with that. <laughs> Nate, yeah, how can people get a hold of you? Do, you? do you have an email that you want to shoot at them? Um, Yeah. Um, If you guys want to email me, you can email me at Nate Araya, N-A-T-E-A-R-A-Y-A at gmail.com. Um, or just Google me, you know, and, and find me. I'm, I'm, I'm usually around. Yep, you are. Nate, I'm, I'm hoping to see the Diaspora Journal, so please make sure to bring it out to the East Coast. And thank you so much for being on the show, man. Not a problem at all, man. I love what you are doing with this platform. This is amazing. This is what we need for the culture. And I appreciate people like you that are giving platforms for stories to be told because, um, yeah, it's definitely a need. I'm glad you're feeling that. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way about you, man. I feel like you're doing it in in such a hard way like you know doing an audio podcast it's much easier than video so yeah man ditto to you awesome appreciate you man humbled by it thanks brother thank you